Good. Go ahead and be seated if you would. Grab a handout and insert. Uh, we'll grab some time. Uh, just the very thing that Caleb just led us into. Talking about um, finding Jesus, finding me. It's the idea that uh, we're looking for a relationship with God. We're looking for a relationship with God through Christ. And as we find Jesus, you're going to find out that he's been searching for you more than you've been searching for him. And uh, it's, it's good for us to just think about where we're at and where uh, he's calling us to be in him. Uh, stop me if you've heard this one before. Guy walks into a public library. Okay, this is a young man, teenager, and he walks up to the counter in this public library and he says, I want a hamburger, french fries, and a shake. And the lady at the counter says, young man, young man, don't you know where you are at? Don't you know where you are? He says, you're in a public library. He looks around, he goes, oh, could I get a hamburger, french fries, and a shake? Uh, groan. Go ahead and groan publicly. It's okay. Uh. But, but here's the thought. Here's the thought. A, po a point to make is understanding where you're at has nothing to do with your physical proximity, but has everything to do with your eternality. Where are you at spiritually? Where are you at? And do you realize where you're at? I mean, we call this a, a church building. And here you can, in this spot, you can. We've set it up to explore finding Jesus, to explore finding yourself, that your identity is far more important than your location. Okay? Where you're at spiritually has everything to do with your identity. And today we're talking about Jesus' identity as the Son of God, Savior, Master, King, Leader, overarching Lord. And we're talking about his call to us, his call for us to be under his leadership, to be saved by him, to be trusting in him. That's what it's all about. So as we dive in this morning, we're going to look at a, a time in Jesus's life at age 30 where he stepped forward and he got baptized. He was immersed. And as his immersion teaches us things about Jesus, he calls us to be baptized, to be immersed. And we learn things about ourselves by understanding Jesus and by understanding his call to us. So as we dive into this today, think with me about where are you at not a public library, not a McDonald's, but he's calling you to assess where are you at with him? How are you doing at finding this Jesus? And I want you to think about Jesus being baptized in the Jordan River. I mean, it was a location that Jesus went to to be baptized by his second cousin, uh, John. We call him John the Baptizer or John the Baptist. And as he came to John to be uh, baptized. I want you to think about this for a minute. Think of the shores of the Jordan River being lined with people who would come to John to hear him preach. He was saying, the kingdom of God 
is at hand. The kingdom of God is on top of us. The kingdom of God is ready to appear. Get yourselves ready. And so he called them into a baptism of repentance. Repentance means you are going one direction and you change your mind, you change your heart, and you change your direction. That's what repentance means. Repentance is not just being sorrowful for your sin or going the wrong way. It's actually changing your mind about your sin and going the wrong way and saying, I now want to go Christ's way. I want to follow the Lord. I want to be in his direction and his leadership. That's the meaning as John preached repentance and turned around and he baptized people to say, get ready, the Messiah is coming. Get ready, Jesus is going to appear. And then just picture with me for a minute, after weeks, months, even years of this taking place, the, the banks of the river being crowded with people, but all of a sudden the Bible says the, the crowd parted. The crowd parted and down from the shore of the Jordan River came Jesus, the master, the king, the savior. And as the crowd parted, John couldn't help himself, but he just boldly stated, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. John was preaching a, a, a message of repentance to get ready for the master, and now the master was stepping into the water. The master was coming into the Jordan River. He was appearing, and the declaration, Behold, this is the Lamb of God that I've been talking about. He takes away the sins of the world. Up to that point, the concept was basically sins were rolled ahead. You know, sins were rolled ahead. Every year, they would have to do a sacrifice to roll the sins forward one more year. Another sacrifice to roll the sins forward. And you know, just like a snowball, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. There was this feeling that the sins of their lives, the sins of them individually and their sins of them collectively was just, we would say, snowballing out of control. But Jesus didn't come to roll the sins ahead for a year. According to this, John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He blows up the snowball. He disintegrates this pile of sin that would keep us in a barrier position from the Heavenly Father, that would have to cause us to have a sacrifice annually, year by year. In fact, it was the terminology, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They'd been offering lambs and bulls and goats, but not the ones that take away the sins of the world. This is the one who takes away the sins of the world. So notice what it says here about Jesus. All this happened in Bethany, on the other side of the Jordan River, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man comes after me who surpasses me because he was before me. I mean, it's almost like a riddle. <laughs> this guy's coming after me who was before me because he surpasses me. You're like, I'm not sure I understand all that you mean by that. Well, think about it. Jesus was the creator. <laughs> he had surpassed him and he'd come into the world before him. But in terms of ministry, he was following John. 
He predated and preexisted before John. Here was John, the baptizer, in his ministry. But there was one who was coming because his whole ministry was to get ready, to prepare, to make a way for the Lord. And that's what he's saying. He's coming. This is the man. And I said, a man who comes after me surpasses me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. He's saying, my whole ministry is completing itself today. <laughs> I am showing you the one who's to be revealed to all of Israel. Think with me for a minute about this, this encounter a little bit further. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to detour him. He was like, I am not even worthy to untie your sandals. I can't even untie your sandals. Who am I to baptize you? I, I need to be sitting in the water and you baptize me. And, and Jesus says, uh, let it be so for now. Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Underline that. In fact, that's the whole point here, to fulfill all righteousness. It's the reason that he said, John, let's get this done. John, baptize me. In fact, the Living Bible says it this way. Please do it, for I must do all that is right. That's the Living Bible version of that same verse. I need to do what's right. That's what the word righteousness means. We would say, I need to obey God's will. I need to do what God's will is for my life. I need to do it God's way. It was to fulfill. Before we tear this apart a little bit, maybe we could look at a, a visualization of that. Let's see. Let's watch a visualization of that. It's kind of got some um, these and thous because they're using the King James version of the Bible. But picture this in your mind along the Jordan River as John is preaching. He was uh, known for his kind of uh, prophetic look and style. Sounds like he had wild hair. Any of you guys into hair? He had wild hair and a wild beard. He ate locusts and wild honey. He had a, a strange diet. There were some things that were strange about him. From the Almighty God, as a testimony that you have entered into a covenant to serve him. We don't know how many John baptized, but it sounds like thousands and thousands were baptized by John, getting ready for the Messiah. Sometimes when people today go to the Jordan River, they go into it and, be, and get baptized, even if they've been baptized elsewhere, just for the, the symbolism of that. I have made to be baptized of thee. Comest thou to me? I suffer it to be so now. 
For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. I baptize thee, having authority from the Almighty God, as a testimony that you have entered into a covenant to serve him. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. As Jesus comes up out of the water, he is doing the very thing that he said to baptize him for. He said, I'm doing this to fulfill all righteousness. Let's tear that apart a little bit. Follow with me this idea that he's doing it to identify with us as sinners. He's doing it to identify with those of us who have failed, who've missed the mark, who have, have struggled. I mean, that's the very reason Jesus came to this planet and this earth was to identify with us so no longer would be this, this gap between the invisible heavenly father and us who are here on earth. He became one of us. He became man that he might understand where we stand as men and women. He identified. I mean, think about it for a minute. As he's baptizing, John's baptizing person after person saying, confess your sins, have your sins washed away. I'm just thinking of the water almost being contaminated with the sins symbolically of all the people that he had baptized getting ready for the Messiah. And in comes the pure, holy Son of God, the Lamb who takes away the sins. And as he's dipped into the water, it's almost as if the sins of the people are placed upon him. Almost like they would do the scapegoat in an annual service. They would put their hands behind the ears of the goat and they would pray the sins of the people on that goat and then send it out. The scapegoat was escaped, we would say. And in a way, Jesus was that sacrificial lamb who was taking away the sins of the world and was identifying with the sinners. The whole reason Jesus came was to identify with sinners who needed a savior. The second thing that it says to fulfill all righteousness, here's a thought for you. It's to picture his coming sacrifice. Now catch this, remember this. This baptism of Jesus was long before he was ever hung on a cross, taken from the cross lifeless, stuck in a tomb, and on the third day rose from the dead. But that's what is being pictured in the baptism that Jesus is going through. He is dying to self. He is buried in the water, and then he is resurrected from the watery grave. You see, he is picturing his coming sacrifice. Three and a half years after Jesus' baptism, he hangs on a cross so that the sins we've committed could be paid for, for us. He's laid in a tomb and he resurrects from the dead to prove his divinity. His sacrifice and his victory 
are noted in his baptism. So when we identify with him, that's the very thing that we're identifying with. So the third thing, to fulfill all righteousness, means he set an example. He set an example for us to follow. We who are followers of Jesus are going into a watery grave just like he did. We're following his lead. We're following his model, his example for all of us. That's something that all followers of Jesus have done and will do from that day till this. Followers of Jesus have submitted themselves to this, um, this celebration of life we call baptism. Did you catch the voice from heaven? In a way, I'm calling that displaying God's leadership. Because as Jesus came out of the water, as he came up out of the watery grave, it says the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit in a form like the dove. It doesn't say it was a dove, but it's the Holy Spirit in a form like a dove came and rested on him. And he says, from, and there's a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I mean, that's where God connects. God the Father shows everybody on the shore, shows everybody, John in the water, shows everybody down to you and I today that this indeed is the Son of the Most High God. This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. The voice came, you are my son, whom I love, in whom I am well pleased. Having had the privilege of watching hundreds of people go through the watery grave of baptism, I I think this voice from heaven kind of happens to all of us in a different way. And we're not the only begotten son of God, but in a way we're all adopted into his family. Speaking of adoption, who have you got in your arms right there, Tiffany? The newly adopted Jonah. Is that worth celebrating? Yeah, 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 yeah. What a picture, yeah. What a picture of our adoption. You know, we aren't begotten by God like his son, but we are adopted into his family. And just like he said to Jesus, you are my son, I am pleased with you. We hear that as we, as we go through the watery grave. It's not because we're earning our salvation. You can never do that. But as we obey the Lord, people just get this sense of pleasure from the Heavenly Father as he looks down on us. One young lady said, as she came up out of the, out of the baptistry, was drying off, got cleaned up, and came in. She said, all I ever heard as I was growing up is you are ugly, you are unlovable, and you are unworthy. That was the messages she had heard as a teenager growing up. She said, you know what I feel now? I feel loved. I feel accepted. I feel saved. And that's the joy that comes from the voice of God saying to us deep within us, not the heaven splitting like in this case with a voice, but a nonetheless voice that says, I am accepted. I am loved. I am adopted, chosen by God to be his son and his daughter. Thank you, Jesus. 
He's calling on us to understand his leadership. And baptism, in Jesus' case, showed his leadership. That's really what salvation is all about. John ends up saying, he ends up telling everybody around that this man on whom the Spirit comes is the one that will, um, that I testified to you. He is the chosen one of God. Well, let's shift the page a little bit on the right-hand side of your page. Let's look at our baptism. Let's look at us as individuals getting baptized, being baptized, being immersed into him and comparison because it's a really mysterious thing when it says we are baptized into Jesus. Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, but we're baptized into Jesus. We're baptized into Jesus. He talks about us being in Christ. And I want to use a story from Acts chapter 8. One of the hallmark passages about somebody getting baptized. We can learn a lot from this passage. You see, there was this angel who told uh, Philip, one of the leaders in the church, he said, I've got someone I want you to lead to Jesus. I've got someone that I want you to tell about me. Go over and attach yourself to this chariot that's going down the Gaza Strip. Go over and attach yourself to the chariot and listen to what this guy is saying. So Philip, obeying the angel, the voice of the angel, he he does what God tells him to do. And he goes over and he walks alongside this chariot and this entourage that's going from Jerusalem down to Ethiopia, down to Africa. And as they're bumping along, as they're rolling along, this guy's trying to read a scroll in the midst of this journey, of this travel. Aren't you glad you got an iPad? (laughs) aren't you glad you got a phone you can look up the scriptures on I mean think about it trying to read an antiquated scroll of the book of Isaiah as he's driving along now we don't know a lot about this guy but they were radically different okay Philip was a, a Jewish leader a Jewish man some of the things that you would say were different about them they were racially different we've got an Ethiopian a guy from Africa with a darker hue, wouldn't you say, than a Mediterranean Jew. Okay? They were racially different. Okay? They were economically different. I mean, think about it. You've got a traveling evangelist, an itinerant preacher, not always known for making a lot of money. Okay? And you've got this, this treasurer for Candace, queen of the Ethiopians with a huge treasure chest, (laughs) okay? He had an entourage. Just the fact that he had a chariot puts him in what we would call the 1%, the one percenters. And and the fact that he had a scroll of the book of Isaiah, the the Bible says that that would cost a year's wages just for that one scroll. (laughs) So what would you go? Okay, in our vernacular, that'd be like 50 grand, $50,000 just to own a scroll because they were hand-copied on very precious materials. I mean, they, we were talking about economically diverse here, amazingly different. I mean, family-wise, they were different because the Ethiopian guy, he didn't have a family, had no plans to have a family. He was a eunuch. He was sterile and was never going to have a family, whereas Philip was, he had three beautiful, or no, four beautiful daughters, 
Acts chapter 20 says. He was, and they were prophetess. They were, they were female preachers, okay? <laughs> if you want to get into the scriptural meaning of it. He had a family, and he didn't have a family. So these were amazingly different people from amazingly different places, but God had a plan for this sharing of Jesus to take place, for this combination to have an effect. It was to follow Jesus's example. Notice what it says. Then Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading the Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him in the chariot. This is the passage of scripture he was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before his shears is silent, so he didn't open his mouth. So the eunuch says, is he talking about himself or somebody else? Then Philip began at that very passage, and he preached to him Jesus. He started with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Now, I don't know all that Philip told the eunuch. I don't know what his sermon was, but think about it for a minute. They're bumping along the Gaza Strip on this chariot, and he's preaching to him Jesus. He's telling him the good news about Jesus. What do you suppose he told him? Hey, Jesus was born of a virgin, the Virgin Mary. Maybe he talked about uh, Jesus who hung on a cross so our sins could be paid for. I bet he told him about that. I bet he told him that they laid him in a tomb and that on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. I bet he told him all of that. Do you think? It says he preached to him, Jesus. Well, somewhere in the mix, somewhere in the sermon, he must have told him about getting baptized. Because that's the question Philip, I mean, the uh, unit comes up with to Philip. He says, well, here is water. What can stand in my way of being baptized? I want this relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and I understand immersion is part of the initiation into the kingdom. Look, here's water. We're going by it right now. Can I get baptized? Can I get baptized right now? Notice what it says. If you believe with all your heart, you may. What is the prerequisite to getting baptized? Believing. Believing. In fact, that's what he says. The eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. In fact, we'd add it to uh, Peter's confession where Jesus asked him, who do men say that I am? And he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's the very thing we ask, brothers and sisters, as people want to go through a watery grave of baptism here. Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? You don't have to know a lot. In fact, if you think about it, he says, what, what could stand in my way of being baptized? Notice Philip didn't say, you've got to learn a lot more. You know, Philip didn't say, you've got to know a certain amount in order to get baptized. Isn't that comforting? <laughs> Baptism is not for graduate studies. Baptism is for kindergartners. It's the beginning point. Don't think you've got to learn or earn or develop to a certain point. He's, he says, 
come to me and I'll school you. I'll train you. I'll grow you into all that God calls us into. So I think that question that he asked right there, what can stand in the way of my being baptized, might be something for you to assess tonight, today, right here, right now. What could hinder you from being baptized? What could keep you from following and celebrating what Jesus has in store? Let me mention a couple things that sometimes hinders people. Sometimes people have been baptized or sprinkled as a baby, and they don't want to get baptized as an adult because they're thinking, if I get baptized as an adult, I'm maybe, maybe discounting what my parents had in mind. Okay? Let me encourage you. Most people need to celebrate if they had parents that were so eager for them to follow Jesus. And most people, I've not met any that haven't, as they share with their parents, I'm following what you taught me to do, almost without exception. The parents go, That's, of course you will. Of course you will. I, I trained you that way. I brought you up for that reason and for that purpose. Some people I mentioned, they, um, they, were, they were baptized as an infant and they don't understand the difference between believing and then being baptized or being baptized and then believing. Okay? Their parents brought them up to be baptized and then grow to believe. And now all we're saying is in the New Testament, the belief precedes the baptism. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. I mentioned some people's mindset that could hinder them if they think they have to be at a certain place. Well, once I get this habit out of my life, I'm going to quit smoking, I'm going to quit this, I'm going to quit that, then I'll get baptized. It's like, no, follow the Lord and he'll help you with all the cleanup that you feel like you need to do. What do you need to know to be baptized? You could put on a bumper sticker. You could put on a bumper sticker. You could just say it this way. I am a sinner, and I need a Savior. Okay? That's really what you need to know to be immersed into him. Jesus is my uh, Savior. So as you think about it, it's following Jesus' example. Jesus went into the water and was baptized, and what we do is the same thing. Second thing, jot this down. Picturing Jesus' sacrifice and his victory. I love this verse. Romans chapter 6, about baptism. Don't you know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his, what? Into his death. That's his sacrifice. Just like Jesus pictured that in his baptism, we picture that in our baptism. We are baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him. I mean, when you're under the water, you're in a grave position. You can't live there. It's not an environment you can stay in. It is a temporary dip into a burial. Because what's the goal? In order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. God's plan for immersion in its place, baptism in our lives, is that we would picture both the sacrifice 
and the victory of Jesus in the death, burial, and resurrection. Think with me about one more, two more here. Obeying Jesus' command. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. See, when you follow Jesus in baptism, you were obeying his command. His command was to make disciples by baptizing. Obviously, that means to get baptized ourselves. One more. We're fulfilling, fulfilling Jesus's great commission. That commission where he said, make disciples, was followed time after time after time with the fulfillment of people throughout the book of Acts, people becoming Christians. Now, here's the, here's the uh, challenge for you. There's not one time in the book of Acts that anybody becomes a Christian that baptism isn't a part of that following. Before Jesus died on the cross, or as he died, like the thief on the cross, you know, you don't, you don't see that person logistically being baptized. But after Jesus died, after he was buried and rose again, and then all of the rest of the Bible, all of the rest of the New Testament, every case in the book of Acts, you see the, the call to believe and to be immersed. It's an initiation rite. It's an initiation move as we picture the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and as we fulfill his commission. As John preached, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In the New Testament, it says, repent and be immersed, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know how many people came to Christ on that day? 3,000. 3,000 people got saved. 3,000 people confessed Jesus. 3,000 people went through a watery grave of baptism, the Bible says. That would have been fun, huh? Yeah. That was the birth of the church. And from that time to today, the same call is on our lives. Repent. Let's change your mind, change your heart, change your direction, and be immersed. And I would make that call to everyone here today. If you've not yet followed Jesus in baptism, why not? Just like the Ethiopian eunuch said, what hinders me from being baptized? Ask yourself that question. What's holding you back? Is God tugging on your heart, saying commit yourself, be initiated, and grow in the kingdom? What happened as they um, believed the good news of the kingdom of God they were baptized, both men and women. It doesn't matter what gender. It doesn't matter what economic status. It doesn't matter what race, what background you've got. It, none of that matters. The only thing that matters is God loves you, and he's calling you to himself. Unite with him in the body of Christ. Another one I'll list here is, uh, is Peter. We've got the Pentecost, we've got Philip. Here Peter said, uh, no one can deny water to these who have received the Holy Spirit like we have. And the converts began to be Gentile converts, baptized into Christ. Paul says the same thing. 
He says, on hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. I want to show you a, a, a quick clip of someone that uh, just is talking about his commitment to Christ, his baptism into Christ, and then we'll conclude. That's pretty cool, huh? Yeah. So I want to ask a couple of questions. Is there anything hindering you from being baptized? Maybe you've already accepted Christ. Maybe you've already been baptized. Maybe you've initiated your life. I know some of you have gone through the watery grave of baptism here. But let me ask a second question that will probably apply to more of us. Okay? What hinders you from baptizing others? What are, what are you doing, maybe this season, to help usher other people into the kingdom? Did you identify more with the uncle or with Bradley? I, I mean, there's a point in being baptized where we should all identify with Bradley, coming into new life and faith in him. But for many of us, for many of us, we've relegated the leading of people to Christ and the baptizing of others to, to somebody else, to Pastor Bruce or somebody. I want to just encourage you. There is nothing energizing, powerful as leading someone to Jesus and helping them understand the love of God. Who is it that you've brought to Christ and immersed into him in the last year, two, three, five years? Could it be that this is the season? Who's on your um, <laughs> biblical Christian hit list? Who is it that you'd love to, to love into the kingdom this year? Could we use this season that he's called us pre-Easter, the season where we're doing a series focused in on who Jesus is and what he means in our life, could we be using this season as a time to bring people closer to the kingdom where they would say, just like the Ethiopian eunuch, what hinders me from being baptized here and now? No? So let me place that on your heart and on your mind and challenge you. <laughs> you know, it takes boldness we would say it takes courage and there's joy in receiving Christ and getting baptized. So if you're here today and you need to be baptized, the water's warm, let me know. We'll take care of that today. We got others that have ex been exploring this, want to be baptized in the next couple of weeks. On the 24th, a uh, couple of our folks are saying, I want to get baptized then. Beautiful. We're just going to be ready for that on the leading people to Jesus, could I just encourage you, prayerfully place it in mind. Who is it God's putting on your heart? Is it a loved one? A relative? Is it a coworker? Is it a neighbor? Is it someone you casually see in the grocery line? Who is it that God's calling you to, to usher one more step toward his kingdom? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us the way that you do. Thank you that no matter what we do, you have bought us back out of sin and out of degradation. You've brought us into full sonship. You've brought us in a place where we love you. We honor you. We give ourselves to you. Lord, for anyone who's contemplating the step, the initiation into your kingdom through baptism, I just pray for them, Lord. Would you give them boldness? Would you give them courage? And would you give them joy?
as they celebrate your love. Lord, may you give those of us who are trying to bring others to you, who are wanting to be a step in their growth and their direction, would you give us courage and boldness and joy as well. Thank you for loving us, Lord. Thank you for giving us Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.